All right. Um, whew, we've got a crazy couple of weeks, eh? Good times. But this morning I'm going to preach. Because this word can't sit in me for another week. Uh, I, need to, I need to get it out. And I need to get it out in how we look in 20 minutes. 24. Is that accurate? 20, is that? I don't know. I, we're just going to go. Because we're going to be done by 11, uh, 10.45. We're going to walk down to, to um, Seymour Square together. Um, I had the privilege of leading the Anzac service at Ashwood Park on Tuesday. Uh, it's one of the things that I do for them every year. I love it. I love going in. And, and it, it's caused me to recognize what Anzac Day is kind of about. I didn't grow up, I didn't know most of my grandparents and the story wasn't passed down to me perhaps in the same way that some of you will remember that. And so actually the Anzac story has come alive to me listening to their stories. Um, and so I want to encourage you today, if you don't have an Anzac story, listen to someone else's. You'll find them online, you'll, but, but you know, the, the point to me is that there has to be a cause greater than ourselves to live for because something had to motivate those men and women. Something bigger than themselves. And this morning I want to borrow that if I may to say we have to find a cause bigger than ourselves if we're going to live this Christian faith. Because if it's just about me and it's just about you, we'll find every reason to duck out when it gets hard. All right, uh, I want to print that. I want to open it in another app because I don't want to accidentally delete it. I want to open it in that one. Here we go. Get rid of the weddings. So many weddings. Uh, all right, here we go. Two weeks ago, I started a series called How We See God. And then we had a week that we missed... We blame Dave for that, among other things. Uh, but this morning I want to continue that series. Shh. <laughs> this morning I want to continue that series. But if I can start with a brief recap for those of you that either weren't here or who might have forgotten what we talked about two weeks in the deconstruction of last Sunday. Uh, so this series, How We See God, and the first week was called My God. My God. We love to make that statement. Jesus is my God. In fact, I believe our Christian faith is built on that statement. Jesus is my God. But what do we mean when we say that? Because despite English having more words than almost any other language, we have far too few words for some of the most important words that we need to differentiate. For example, love. The Greek language has seven different words for love. Agape, philia, eros, ludos, storge, philotia, pragma, all attempting to describe different manifestations of the emotion that in English we call love and then use the same word for my wife and my Lego or my wife and my car or my wife and chocolate cake. Or what, so, so we got seven different and we have one word and we try to just make it fit all of them. In the same way, we have this word my and we make no differential between the word my. Yet in part one, we looked at the beautiful context of the Maori words for why, of my, toku and taku. Toku means my in the sense of submission to, belonging to, that I had no part in this decision. In a pepeha, you might say, ko maitai toku awa, the maitai is my river, with the implication that this river is not mine through choice, but by heritage. I was born here, this is, I, it, it is mine, but not in that sense. Taku, however, implies dominance, the possessor, the one who has control or is superior. So in English, we say Jesus is my God, and our language makes no distinction. But in our heart, we have to ask ourselves, would I say, ko ihu karaiti toku atua, 
o ko ihu karaiti taku atua. Who is in control of my relationship with my God? Not only this, but we looked at the promise and the desire of God's heart expressed in the entire way through Scripture, which is in deliberately two parts. You will be my people, and I will be your God. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And I think we looked at like 20 different Bible verses that unpack that, and we could have found 20 more if we needed to. Uh, we explored the idea that God does not want a one-sided relationship with his people. We are, he is, we are his people, but he is not our God or vice versa. And from there, I built into the words that I've been pouring over for the last several weeks and even months from Ephesians and Colossians. Verses that describe Jesus as the one who fills everything and everyone that describe Jesus as the one who holds everything together. And I drew this following conclusion. I don't have time to re-justify it this morning. If you missed it, you'll have to go back and listen to the podcast. But it is my belief that Jesus is in absolutely everyone and everything. I believe that is an inescapable truth of Scripture. Acts 17 says, In Him we live, we move, and have our very being. Ephesians says, He is the one that fills everything in every single way. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul talks about his conversion saying, Christ revealed himself in me, not to me, but in me. And the Greek is not, uh, is not mistakable. It's very clear because they've got lots of words for things. Jesus is in everything and in everyone. However, not everyone is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that it is those who are in Christ who are a new creation. Romans 8 chapter 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says the dead in Christ will rise first. So Christ is in everyone, but not everyone is in Christ. Again, go back to the podcast if you want to go into that more. But if Christ in you is the hope of glory, then you in Christ is the manifestation of glory. And so salvation and fullness of life comes when we can echo both parts of God's covenant. We are his people, and he is our God. Song of Solomon puts it this way in the context of a romantic relationship. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. I've said a couple of weeks ago, with the, imagine standing at a, at, a, at a wedding and the vows were one-sided, and the husband took, or the wife took him to be the husband, but it never happened the other way around. God is not interested in a one-sided relationship. So this morning I want to continue that thought in a message I've titled, If You Insist. If you're taking notes, my message this morning is called, If You Insist. It's a short idea that, like most things in theology, will take a very short time to introduce, and you could spend the rest of your life unpacking it and trying to understand it. Let's begin by looking at our key scripture this morning. I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I've been pouring over Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians 2. It just, oh, I, can't, I can't get out of them. I keep trying to move on, but I just keep coming back. To, to something that's happening in these, in these chapters uh, that I think we need to see. And hopefully I'm going to put a pretty bow on that. I was going to say next week, but it won't be next week because we've got Abel and all sorts of other things. Um, but Colossians chapter 1. And I want to pick it up from verses 15 to 20 this morning. Are we all okay out there? It's a little bit quiet. 
Can we have a little bit of fun in church this morning? I, I, just, I just need to know that you're there. Uh, throw something, I don't care. You just So Colossians chapter 1, picking it up from 15 to 20. I'm reading from the NLT. I think it might be the NIV uh, behind me, but that's okay. Here we go. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Through him, uh, sorry, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And for context, if we could flick to, if we could also read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. I'm going to read that from up there rather. Did I give you that one? Yeah, here we go. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That is a crazy sentence. It says, the church is the fullness of the one who fills everything. You could... I don't know what that means. That's massive, right? So let's park that for a minute. Let's go back to Colossians because I just want to start pulling this apart. I need you to listen. I need, I need, I need you to listen for a moment. I need your eyes here. I am going to say something controversial this morning. <laughs> I am going to say something. And one or two of you, when you hear it, you might be tempted to walk out. But if you do, you will miss the next statement, which qualifies the first statement. So at least listen to the whole statement before you throw rocks at me. Okay? I promise you the first statement will make you squirm. It made me squirm when I first heard it. But if we go back to verse 15 in Colossians chapter 1, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's what my translation says. You put up that NIV, it says this, the Son, the Son is the image of the invisible of God, the firstborn over all creation. In the NIV, the word existed, and in the Greek, the word existed is not there. It's in the NLT. My one says, he existed before anything was created. This word exist has caused, and I believe is causing, no end of problems to the evangelism of the modern church. For years, Christians and atheists have debated the existence of God. Yeah? You'll find videos on YouTube, you'll find books, websites, comment sections on any Facebook video. Like, any Facebook. It doesn't even matter if it's about church. You find one about puppies, and somewhere, you scroll far enough, you'll find someone debating the existence of God. 
You will. Like, it's so cute. Isn't it nice that God gave us animals? Well, and before you know it, that's where we are. We have debated the existence of God for years and years. But this is a new term because, and here comes the controversial bit, we spend most of our time in model evangelism and apologetics trying to prove that God exists. And if we're honest, we're not seeing a lot of fruit. The church isn't growing like it used to. However, the first century church gave up their lives for the idea that God did not exist. Rather, God insists. So let me explain before you leave. Soothe your worries. I want to I qualify with, that, that with this statement. God is real. God is real. You will not quote me as saying this morning that God is 100% real. When we say God exists, we're trying to say God is real. But how we see that God is real matters, and here's why. The word exist in the Latin breaks down to ex and sister. Ex means external, outside of. Think exit. Exhale, right? Breathe out. And sistia means to dwell. So when we say God exists, we say we mean God dwells externally. God dwells somewhere else, right? Insist, on the other hand, has another meaning. Now, we normally use insist for a completely different, right? We go, I insist. What we mean is I'm persistent, right? I'm really, I insist that we do this. There's no other option. But insist in Latin, in means in, think internal, inhale, etc. And sister still means dwell. So insist means to indwell. Now that's a word we as the church are familiar with. We talk, we have theologies around the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Indwell. So the early Christians fought for this idea that God does not exist, he insists. Follow me. Emperor Trajan persecuted Christians in the first century church. He murdered them, and his charge against them was atheism. Emperor Trajan's charge against the Christian church was atheism. Okay, that's a bit weird. That's my thing. That's the thing I say about people that don't believe what I believe. But Emperor Trajan's charge against the, the early church was atheism. Why? Because in Rome, the culture of the day, every god had a temple and every god had a statue. And if you said to a Christian, where's your statue? They go, we don't have one. They go, what? Well, we don't have one. Oh, okay. Well, where's your temple? You're looking at it. Right? Because Paul said, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so, 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 so Trajan goes, your god doesn't exist. And they go, yeah. He insists. The Bible says he's the beginning and the end, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. He's the one who weaves himself through all of creation. He's the glue that holds it together. You okay? (laughs) So Trajan killed them. Why? Because Rome's political system and economic system was built around existent gods and the ability to make money because if you gave money to the gods... And if you did this to the gods, then they might do... Because if God exists, you can manipulate them, right? 
If, if, if Tiyu exists, I can manipulate him. I can say nice things about him. I can buy him stuff. I can give him, and then I can go, now I need you to, to do something for me. Right? And so we have this idea that God exists. And so when we do that, we start to treat him like takuatua, where I can make something happen. And all they would do is take the money and go, oh, I mean, you know, very good. And so Trajan goes, if you get rid of the temple, you get rid of the statues, you get rid of the prophet for the government. So that's atheism, and we got to kill you for it. So Trajan killed Christians, and the charge against them was atheism. I want you to come back with me for a minute to this idea. Why does it matter? The question could be asked, why does it matter whether God exists or insists? Whether he externally dwells or internally dwells? Because if God exists, then he's an object outside of me. If he's outside of me, I can describe it, I can see it, but I can try to make it serve me like we've talked about. And this is how people used to treat the gods. Not only that, but when we have a view of an existent God, we start to ask questions like this. If God exists, why doesn't he do something about this? Right? God, if you exist, why is there suffering in the world? God, if you exist, you should come down and fix this problem. God, if God exists, why is COVID? Or if God exists, why is this happening? But the insistent God says, God, show yourself to me here and now. Because you are, there is nowhere that you aren't. Psalm 139, even if I make my bed in hell, you will find me there. The insistent God, we are, if we understand an insistent God, we ask different questions. Right? It's, I feel like I'm getting half of you on this. It's, so, so let me put it this way. Shane Willard says it this way. We have an orthodox theology. Our orthodox theology is that we believe in a God in three persons that is weaving himself through creation. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere, all the time. He is the God who was, the God who is, the God who is to come, the beginning and the end. We would agree with all of these things, but then we have a pagan imagination about how that works. Because we have an orthodox theology that says God is insistent, he's everywhere, he's omnipresent, and then we picture a white dude on a throne. And when I talk to non-Christians, the biggest question and the biggest problem that they seem to have is this image of a white dude on a throne because their question, because if that's who they picture, then their question is, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he do something? But if God insists, if he's filling me, if he's filling you, if he's holding the entire world together, then I have a responsibility to find him here and now. Yeah? The existent God is not helpful Again, God is real, 100%. But our existent picture of him is not helpful. Let's take a look with, this, with the little amount of time that we have left at how that changes, because remember, this series is how we see God. How you see God will determine how you see yourself, and it will determine how you see everybody else around you. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. Light is not so much something you see, but what allows you to see everything else, right? Light allows me, if we turned all the lights out in this room, I, I have trouble, but you turn the light on and suddenly I see everything. Suddenly a picture starts to become clearer, right? So Jesus is the light of the world. How we see God changes how I see me, changes how I see you, changes how I see people outside of the church. 
Let's go back to Colossians. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Well, we have some new language we could put to that now, don't we? We could say it this way. Christ is the existent form of the insistent God. Christ existed in physical form at a time to reveal the God who was eternal. Because even John says of Jesus, he existed before. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's not the Bible. That's Jesus. It's capital W Word. Jesus is the Word. Christ is the existent form of the insistent God. You might need to go and get this again and listen to it and chew on it. He existed. We've clarified that. We clarified that on Easter. God, Jesus, existed. But he insisted. So let's go back to um, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I'm going to change it. I'm going to paraphrase. Christ is the existent image of the insistent God. He insisted before anything existed. In other words, my translation says, he existed before anything was created. But for something to be existent, it has to be created. I can see I'm losing some of you. Come back. I'm getting... I want to keep this so that those of you who want to dive deep can go as deep as you go, and those of you that want to keep it simple can keep it simple as you like, all right? It's the joy of Jesus. Uh, So, let me me find my space again. See, it's not good for me to go off the page. All right. He existed. Jesus is the existent form. John chapter 1, we've heard that. In the beginning was the Word. Through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He makes the things that we can see, the things that exist, and the things that we can't see, the things that insist. Verse 17, he existed or he insisted before anything else, and he holds all creation, all existence together. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got, okay, cool. He existed, he insisted before, consider this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. In other words, Jesus has always been, but he became existent because you needed to see something. Because we like to see things, don't we? We don't like to believe in that which we can't see. Which brings me to the question that so many atheists and so many people outside of the church, if I could see God... If I could see Jesus, see, if Jesus came so that he might exist, so that we could hang our faith on that, and I, I, I submit that we do hang our faith on that. See, I, I'll say to people, you call God what you want. God is a title. God is not a name. People call him Jehovah. People call him Elohim. People call him... God is a, is a title, not a name. But my question will always be, who do you say Jesus is? Right? Who do you say Jesus is? Because when we talk about this Christ who fills everything, the new age people go, yeah, amen, man. It's just, I just call it the universe. I just call it vibrations. I call it energy. I call it whatever I want. I go, no, 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 no. I call it Jesus. And if I can see it in you, and I can see it in you, and I can see it in you, and I can see it in you, but I can't see it in Jesus, then I can't see it. Right? And so that's why I'll always say, you know, people that I'm talking to, people who are in this building, and they go, yeah, we're all connected. I go, amen. But who do you say Jesus is? Because if you can see that we are all connected, but you can't see that Jesus is the most authentic source of that, then you don't see it, right? So watch this, because the question becomes, Jesus in existent form isn't here right now, right? We've got to wrap up. Jesus in existent form, but in insistent form, he is, because Jesus is everywhere. 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Oh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Body is an existent word. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all those who will rise. He is the first in everything. God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. So I can't see God in you without seeing God in fullness in Jesus. God, in all of his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Now go with me back to Ephesians chapter 1. So I want to read that one again. God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. Ephesians 1. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let me tell you something. When people are looking for the existent image of God, guess where they're going to find it? In you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now the visible image. And not you, but Jesus in you, Jesus in his church. The church is now the visible image of the invisible God. Right? And if I jump right to the end, because this is the point that I want to make. You, the body, you are the existent image of the insistent God. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, you are the light of the world. Go and reveal my light to all mankind. Not your light, but his light in you. The proof that you are a Christian is that you start to see Jesus everywhere. And I'm going to talk about that next time I preach. But here's my point. If we take what I said two weeks ago about the portion of Jesus that fills everyone in Ephesians 1 we just read, but the fullness that lives in the church, this determines how we... Because if God is existent, then I can justify God being separate from me. I can justify God being separate from you, which means I can justify me being separate from you. And therefore, I can dislike you. That's where racism happens. That's where sexism happens. That's where prejudice happens. That's where elitism happens. But when the same Jesus who fills me fills you, fills the whole, holds the universe together, then I have to start going. Here's, here's the application. And then we'll finish because we've got to go. I have a responsibility to treat you like Christ and as Christ. Does that make sense? Matthew chapter 25, whatever you did for the least of these, you did unto me. So when I minister to Jess, when I minister to Jocelyn, to Harold, to Pam, to Bob, to anyone in the church, to anyone outside of the church, I'm actually ministering to Jesus. I have to treat them as if they are Jesus. But not only that, I have to treat them as if I am Jesus, as if Jesus is living in me. What would it look like if we as the church could live in that dual place, that everyone we came into contact with, we went, you are a child of God created in the image of the Most High. He holds you together. You don't know Him yet. You're not in Him yet. You need to receive salvation. I believe all of that. God is, but, but, but I'm going to treat you with the Christ that I already see working in your life. Because even if you make your bed in hell, Jesus will find you there. But not only that, if I spent every day aware of Christ in me, the hope of glory, how would that change how I lived? Amen? Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you are the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. 
Lord, we thank you that there is nowhere that you cannot see, nowhere that you do not go, nowhere that you cannot find me. Lord, I thank you that your eye is on this church, that your eye is on this community. And Lord, I pray that we would shift our sight slightly to how we see you, that it might change how we see everything around us. Lord, that we would treat people like Christ and as Christ. That we would, according to Matthew 25, whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. But in the same way that the world will know that we are your disciples by our love, by our example. Lord, that we would be the visible image of the invisible but 100% real God who is at work here, who is at work in this community, who is at work in this nation, and who is at work across the globe. We pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I want to encourage you, chew on that. Go back and listen to it again. Oh, I'm still chewing on that. But amen. Right. What we're going to do now, it's 10 to 11. Uh, that's pretty good effort for me. We're going to walk together. But for those of you that are coming down to, down to Seymour Square, uh, and we're going to find some place down there for the, for the Anzac service. Afterwards, tea and coffee will still be served in the other building. If you come back to get your car, you're welcome to hang around and do that. But otherwise, God bless you. Go and be the visible image of Christ to someone this week. Amen? Amen.